receive that as new and fresh. I want you to use your ink pen or pencil, whatever you've got right now, and go ahead and put your name in the front cover of that, if you would, please, so that if you uh, misplace it here, we can get it back to you. But the second thing I'd like for you to do is I would like for you to turn to the table of contents for just a minute. And uh, let's sort of get a, get a sight of where we're going with this as we're looking at making a difference in our world, making a difference in our community, making a difference in our church, making differences in our home. What are we going to be studying and looking at? Today we'll open with looking at making a difference with relationships and then caring, being spirit-filled, and you can read through generosity, faithfulness, teamwork, uh, being a witness that makes a difference, uh, being an encourager. We'll talk about Barnabas a little bit that week, and giving, and prayer, and missions, and co-labors, and commitment. We'll follow all of these through uh, for the next 13 weeks. I want you to keep that table of contents before you, and I'd like for you in your daily study time to pray and ask the Lord, pray over next week's lesson, and ask the Lord to teach you and to use next week's lesson to, to be able to help us. Let's do that uh, every week that we're studying through. This morning, we're looking at making a difference in relationships. I've got to say this, <clears throat> she's not here with us this morning, but I'm very appreciative of our church yesterday in the representation at uh, William Watson's funeral. 98% of those present yesterday were our church people. It was not expected to be that way. Um, Valerie and uh, Ms. Watson both expected it to be a large funeral uh, due to the number of people that, that Shorty knew. Uh, that was not necessarily the event but I, as I stood and watched on my left-hand side, every person on the left-hand side of the uh, chapel, every person was from our church. On the right-hand side, there were two rows of family members, one row of an extended family members, and then behind that was all of our church people, except for two Air Force officers in the back of the, of the chapel. Ninety-eight percent other people that were there yesterday were there because of Margaret and Valerie and their relationship that they have with you and with this church. I couldn't help but think of that on the way home, actually knowing what Sunday school lesson was about this morning, the importance of relationships. Dan or Dave uh, Kelly and I were on the phone back and forth quite a bit this week. And uh, every time Dave goes in the hospital, I'll start getting text messages from him, usually a little after midnight. And I know he's bored. But Dave texted me one night this week, and he said, Preacher, I have a prayer request. And he said, I have had the hiccups now for two and a half days. And he said, they have given me medication and I can't get rid of the hiccups. And the doctors have done everything that they say they can do. And, of course, uh, Margaret Watson has a, a cure for it, and that is something with a black currant jelly held underneath your tongue. If I'm not mistaken, Valerie 
helped Dave and Sandy find the black currant jelly, and he tried it, and it didn't work. And he said, would you please pray that I would get rid of the hiccups? And a little bit later on, he texted me. He said, you know, you must have a pretty good relationship with your preacher if, if your prayer request from him is, would you please pray for me to get rid of the hiccups? You know, we share, all of us share together as a body of Christ. We share some very close and personal prayer requests. Why is that? It has to do with relationship. I want us to study and look through some things this morning. Because relationships can make or break a life. I know that you, you hear a lot of different things about relationships. I, I think that we ought to value our relationships more than we value what we have in the bank balance. Because the relationships is going to be more important than what the bank balance is. Relationships are truthfully what life is all about. I think Jesus proved that out. You realize that Jesus spoke to multitudes of people. Multitudes of people gathered when he preached. But when he reached out, he reached out in an individual basis. When the Lord Jesus was there in the boat, the ship came to the shore where the gathering was. The story is amazing what all Jesus did. Jesus made a difference. We studied that on Wednesday evening from Ephesians chapter 2. When he left, when Jesus was ready to leave, you know who showed up? And the, the scripture that said it talked about, and they saw him clothed and sitting and in his right mind. It doesn't tell us that he had his suitcases packed, but what we do find when we read through the rest of that chapter is he wanted to leave with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had made a difference in his life because there was a personal touch. There was a relationship built. Mary Magdalene, the scripture says that when Jesus met her, he took a personal interest to her. And let's not let the world make something dirty of that over the next few weeks and all the movies that will be out for Easter and all that. And they try to cast shadows out of it and make something immoral out of the relationship. Do you know why Mary Magdalene felt so close to Christ. The Bible says that he made a difference in her life. He cast out seven evil spirits or demons from her. And a relationship began. And we know that we talk a lot about salvation being a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to consider the difference, between, the, the difference relationships make inside the local body here, the family, the church. Now take note of these, if you would. I haven't read through all of our booklet this morning. But uh, first, it allows us, being a part of a local church, allows us forming genuine relationships and building healthy relationships. It allows us to have that. What is the importance of having healthy relationships? It helps us have accountability. We all need to have accountability. And in a, our personal relationships within this family, within this body of believers called the church, it gives us that accountability. Now, we're not going to for the sake of time, but you could read from Romans chapter 16. The entire chapter, really, Paul is ending the book as he's writing, 
And he's saying, greet this person and tell this person and, and mention to this person and help this person and come alongside this person. who And Aquila and Priscilla who actually, and here's what Paul said, they laid their neck down for me. That's the words that he used. And he's referring them to them. All of these having to do with relationship and accountability. Second thing it does is it enables us to bear one another's burdens. I, I enjoy that about our church. Being able to, with all of us together, uh, to carry one another's burdens. Because sometimes the burdens are so heavy, we can't carry them along, alone. Uh, I, I, need to, I did not have this written down. I, I want you to, to make sure that you do mark it down. Uh, Barbara Adams took a fall this week. And, and here's, here's, you'll catch where the train derailed here. Uh, Barbara was at the Bible study on Tuesday morning, and she fell, and she cut the back of her head. She bruised her shoulder and arm up, and she dislocated the hip that they replaced. And so they had to take her to the hospital. The ambulance picked her up and took her to the hospital. They sedated her, put the hip back in place. And she's doing well. Uh, but the reason I thought of that is, is this, relationships bear one another's burdens. People have surrounded her since then. People have, in the last two years, surrounded Margaret and her battle with cancer and then in dealing with Shorty and trying to take care of her husband. And, and we can go through all through this auditorium. And what we find out is that these relationships help us to bear one another's burdens. It helps us to build a prayer network. And it places us under spiritual protection with each other. We cannot be an island unto ourselves, and a lot of us try to make ourselves that way. The early Christians, and here's where our study begins this morning. The early Christians, they had to have each other. It wasn't a want to have each other. They, they learned this, we have to have each other. And I want to tell you this, the world is not going to encourage you and I. The world is not going to help you and I. Now think, if you would, for a few moments about this early first century church, how they had to come together in relationships. The early church was being persecuted, and they were being prosecuted. For what? Converting to Christianity. For having a testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm, a, a, I'm a sheep dealer. I sell sheep. And I convert to Christianity. And the, the priest and the Pharisees would say to the community of, toward me. You don't buy his sheep. And you don't buy the wool that comes from his sheep. And you don't sell him feed for his sheep. And you don't sell him bread. And you don't provide this. Basically a banishment. And that's why when we read in the scriptures, which we will in just a few moments, where it talks about them gathering together. Remember it says that they sold what they had. And they shared one with another. Why? It was a necessity. The relationship was a necessity. Number one, if you would, we don't have the screen this morning. Number one, steadfast in character. We're looking at three characteristics of healthy human relationships. 
Number one is a steadfastness in character. Acts chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now I want you to look first at this healthy relationship developed as, as a continually steadfast. You can't have a relationship with someone who doesn't stick around, who is not there. Now, notice it said they steadfastly, they continued steadfastly. What does that mean? They were there. They didn't go off to themselves. They weren't hopping all over the place in different places, but they are there together, and they continued steadfastly. They were there. They were present. And later on, the Scripture says it added unto them. Now, that has early significance of church membership. But with this thought of church membership, we cannot only be connected to one another in membership, but we're also committed to one another in relationship. Members join arms together with others of like faith. Now, I want you to notice the first part of this. Steadfastness and character, they continued steadfastly. How? Look at A, and that is a commitment to God's Word. We're talking about relationships having to do with the local church this morning. God, help us, every one of us, to protect the church doctrinally. There is every kind of wind blowing with doctrine in our day. And it's important that every person in this church understand and know what doctrine is and make sure that the church sticks with that. Verse 42 tells us that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We could also look at this. Doctrine is the glue that holds the church together. Doctrine is why we're here. We have to walk together in the doctrine. Without doctrine, there's nothing to hold us together. Now, there's three forms of doctrine. There is the body doctrine. There's people doctrine. There's Christ doctrine when we're looking at this as far as our membership in the local assembly, commitment to a body of doctrine, a commitment to a body of people, and a commitment to Christ. They continued in doctrine. Job chapter 23 and verse number 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Uh, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job is saying, and we'll talk about Job in the next hour as we look at natural reactions. But Job said this, more important to me, more important than even the necessity of life, is I have not gone back from the commandment of the Lord. Listen, Job 42 would never be possible. Again, that stretches into the morning service, but 42 would never be possible. What is 42? Job 42 is all the blessing of God. It's the pouring out of provision. It's the prosperity of God. That never would have been possible had this 2312 not been key. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed his words, the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. Now I want you to notice that the Lord said to Joshua, when he is assuming a place of leadership in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written. Please remember this. Doctrine is not for 
personal interpretation. Be on guard of someone who teaches. And, and this, this, is why, this is why I come over here. You remember every time I come over here what I say? This is a thought. I don't want you to get my thought mixed up with God's doctrine. Now, when I come over here, I usually will say, this is my thought, but you'll also remember that I usually say, and this is why I think this. And I try to give a passage of Scripture that is evidence or proof to me by what I think. But I'm hearing, I'm hearing in all the religious world, I'm hearing people, men, men say, I, I, I think this, I think this. And I'm hearing all of the folks that follow them say, well, this must be true because he said it. Anybody who leads you or teaches you doctrinally, you make sure that it's scriptural doctrine, not personal doctrine. So it's a commitment, first of all, to God's word. Now, B, if you would, filling in, it's a commitment to gathering together. Verse 42 speaks of not just doctrine, but it does also speak of fellowship, togetherness, and God ordained for us fellowship. It's important to it. This morning, for something different, we don't do it a whole lot, but we had the coffee and donuts. Brother and Mrs. Dowdy walked in the door, and he said, hmm, what's this? I said, we're having a welcome back Dowdy Sunday. Now we'll have people miss a couple of weeks and come back expecting it to be welcome back Tigner Day, welcome back Moore Day. If we had enough of that, we'd have donuts every week. But I watched just from a distance. As instead of coming into Sunday school and plopping down in our seat, and I, don't, I hope it was the fellowship, not the donut, but to see people formed back here talking the Bible talks to us and teaches us that fellowship, doctrine is extremely important, and our church, first of all, ought to be based on doctrine. But fellowship is important. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 12. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is written at thy gates, that, that, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of his law. God continues now in the New Testament. Look there in your book. In the New Testament, God continues to emphasize being together. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Let's read the verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, you help me with the next phrase. But exhorting, okay, let's stop there. Let's do it again. But exhorting, can I tell you this? Church is not all about you. And you may say, well, I don't feel like, I feel like I'm in a spiritual position. I don't have to be at church. That's not scriptural. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. What are we doing? Exhorting one another. Your presence in the house of the Lord is less about you and more about what you do for others. But exhorting one another. <clears throat> and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
I am, I, I, I am, I get very discouraged. Uh, I'll just be transparent with you. I get very discouraged with what little things, little events it takes to have people out of church. Now, I understand. I understand that there are times when you're going to miss church. I get that. But it does amaze me this. Some people let things keep them out of church on Sunday that would in no way keep them out of work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now I want you to imagine this, if you would. Sunday school gets ready to start. And Mr. Crane comes up and he's on this side. And John's down here for the memory verse. and I don't show up. Mr. Crane comes up and he said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, well, here's a note from the pastor. And he reads a note that I've written to you. Sorry I couldn't be with you today, but it's been a long week. And I wanted to get away, and the fish were biting on Sunday. If you need me, call me. I'll be back in the office on Monday. You'd say, but you're the pastor. But you're a member. And every member of the fellowship matters. Every one of us. Now, notice what he said in the New Testament. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, who forsake it. Why are we to be in church? Why are we to assemble ourselves? So that we can exhort one another. Brother Adam's daughter told me this week. I think I may have met her once, maybe twice, a number of years ago. And here's what she said. And Elmo is what we called him. His name was Elmore. And uh, Elmo had told her this over and over again. And she related the message. She said, you know, you know, Mr. Sumter, the highlight of my dad's week. And I said, what was that? And she said, Landmark Baptist Church. She said, I, he and I spoke just about every day. And she said, I hear about your church every week. And for many of our church, he slides in and he slides out. But he shakes so many hands back here at this back. You didn't know. You didn't know what his relationship to the church meant to him. And sometimes we pass by people like that, not knowing. What's the purpose of our being in church? Exhorting one another. You know what that is all about? It's all about fellowship one with another. We need that. Why? The Bible says, yes, iron sharpeneth iron. But listen to this. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. And I don't need to... I don't need to lengthen out the Sunday school lesson with that because there's some of you in here that have had a broken tooth. And there's some of you who have had a joint that's out of place. And you know that pretty much stops you. But confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble, that's what the Scripture says it's like. Therefore, we need each other. Look at C, if you would, please. Commitment to godly conduct. Commitment to godly conduct. Great friends. Listen, a great friend isn't someone that's easy to talk to. A great friend isn't somebody that makes you feel comfortable. 
sometimes that kind of friend can be the demise of you. Great friends are those in which each friend strengthens the other friend. If you have a friend this morning that leads you or directs you into conversation that is not right, that is not biblical, that is not exhorting one another, it doesn't follow biblical conversation, you can't say that's a great friend. We diminish the quality of our relationships as to allow us to take an unholy, worldly nature when we attach ourselves to the wrong kinds of friends. Let me, let, me, let me give you some scriptural examples. Do you know why Samson blew it? Samson was going to the wrong places for fellowship. You know what the Bible says? Samson went down to Timnath. And in part of the scripture, he went there several times. Do you realize that when he went down on that pathway away from where God would have him and he started to develop friendships and relationships outside of what God had given for him, we find that it was during these trips that he voided out his Nazarite vow. And then that one time when he found the the woman, Delilah, and then he came back to his parents and his whole attitude had changed. I found a woman of Timnath. Get her for me. Arrange it for me. Make it happen, his father says. Can you never find a woman of your own people? His demise came because of the relationships that he built. We can go through numbers and scriptures, and I'm not going to this morning, but people who had the wrong relationships who ended up with a demise. Therefore, we must be very, very careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Wrong fellowships, wrong friendships have led people, have corrupted people. Look at number two. Sensitivity to others. And this is where we sort of began this morning. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 44, if you would, please. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And so when all of the the religious people quit having business to do with the people who had become Christians, the Christians said, the world hates us and we have to have a group. We have to have friends. We have to have relationships if we're going to even self-sustain. Look at A, if you would, with this, as they saw their need. We are to be gracious towards others. Thirty times in Paul and Peter and John's letter, they use the form of the expression, grace to you. Grace is what? Grace is unmerited favor. Paul and Peter and John in their life, they wanted to be the conduit through which God's grace went from God through them to this first century church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 12 there written for you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Now, let me pause long enough to be able to say this this morning. 
You know, the closest the Great Commission ever came to being fully uh, performed was in the first century church. Now, let me give you a why I think that, and I'm not standing over this. I think this is biblically why. The first century church saw what the world was doing, and they said, we have to help one another. We have to exhort one another. We're going to come together there in one place, one accord. All of those things are involved with that. And then they began to sell what they had, and they communicated with each other, and this one provided this one's needs, and this one provided this one's needs, and they all together provided the needs that they had for each other. Let me say this. The world was watching. The world was watching. They may not have been active in this, but the world is watching. And you know what they're saying? My word. here's Here's what I believe they saw. There's something different about these people. For a person to sell everything that they have. And now nowhere in the New Testament does it say that we're required to have communal living. But here's the willing heart. The willing heart of these people to share in their relationships and fellowships. To provide for each other's needs. And the world saw it. And it was a cutthroat world, much like we live in today. Very truthfully, the more I dig into Scripture, the more I find this out. Times haven't changed that much. People haven't changed that much. And the world was cutthroat, and they're looking at Christians who are taking care of each other, and it naturally drew man to the Christian cause. And that's why we find that it's that moment in history that the Bible says... These ignorant and unlearned men turned the world upside down because the world saw the relationships, I believe, that they had. Number two, the sensitivity to others. A, we are to be gracious toward others. And uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and verse number 10. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, listen, I think God gives to us so that we can give to others. Sweet friend, dear friend, Don Sisk, preaches a message in, simple, in, in a simple hand gesture. You may remember him doing it. God gives to you for you to give to others. And that's what we see in this first century church. God gave to them, and they spread it out to others. They gave it to others. As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. Now that's inside and outside the church. That's inside and outside the faith that allows us to be a testimony. But notice the verse doesn't stop there. Unto all men, especially especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so we can say that this verse truthfully is saying, as we have opportunity, let us do good especially to those that are of the household of faith, those that are in the church. Mind for the needs, mind for the burdens. We are to be gracious toward others. 
Be filling in. We are to be generous towards others. The early Christians' generosity impelled them to sell their possessions to give to meet the needs of others. The New Testament talks to us about that practice. But in Proverbs, I want you to notice chapter 3 and verse 27. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in thy power of thy hand to do it. You know, I, I think in heaven we're going to find out we had a lot more power to do good to men than we really recognize. Notice he's continuing to say, listen, be generous. Be sharing. Be graceful. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. But it doesn't stop there. It identifies our source of blessing. But verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now again, salvation is not by works, but testimony is by works. Let man see your good works and therefore glorify your Father which is in heaven. So our works are important, and so the charge here is to be generous. 1 John three seventeen is there. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? When we see a need and we don't supply it. James talks about a brother being naked or destitute of food, and we give him a prayer, and depart from me, and be blessed. When it's within our capacity to be able to be generous and to give. Number three, singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 and 47. They continuing daily in one accord. Now mark your Bibles with this. Where all were they continuing in one accord? In the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They came together for church in the temple. They came together to worship. They came together to fellowship. The Bible mentions house to house, breaking of bread, and they did eat their meat. And, and they did it with gladness and singleness of heart. What does that mean? They had true, pure fellowship and relationship in doing it. The conversation at the table. Notice verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Why? Because of what they saw. Singleness of heart. A, unity requires constant effort. Unity does not happen by accident. It takes great effort. It takes a humble heart. It takes thick skin. And it takes a willingness to forgive. And Romans chapter 14, verse 19 is listed here for us. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify 
another. Now, that means there has to be grace in unity in our relationships, our marriages, our family, our friends, our church. Our Lord knows that this daily grind of life takes its toll on relationships. And it does. Look, if you would, together at Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but consent to men of low esteem or estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man, uh, recompense, to no, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things that are honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, and we've looked at this verse in the evening services some, if it be possible, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. And here's that verse of Scripture that I get so many people that want to know where the verse about vengeance is. Dearly beloved, verse 19, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, B, unity results in an effective witness. It results in an effective witness. And we've talked about that somewhat already this morning. There is a world that's watching. There was a world that was watching. And they're seeing what is real Christianity. And they're seeing it put on display. And here's what they're saying. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of. And so our unity and our witness does these things. 1 Peter chapter 2 ends out what we have written. I beseech you therefore strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly uh, lust that war against your soul, against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers that they may by your good works which they shall behold. Remember the primary, and we were here Wednesday evening, the primary purpose that God has for us is to use us to bring glory to Him. And that last verse, and Peter says that the world beheld good works and it brought glory to God. May God be glorified through our relationships because our relationships can make a difference in our church, in our family, and in our world. Let's stand together, if you would, please. Choir, make your way back to rehearsal room, if you would. Be back here in just a few moments, and we're going to be looking at natural reactions this morning. Brother Bill Brown, would you pray for us, please?